0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This program is brought to you by Joule, sous vide by Chef Steps. Joule takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn
2: more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network
3: Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. So uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking with Danielle Nierenberg of Food Tank about what were some of the um, lowest hanging fruits of the specter of food uh, food system issues. And um, she said that would be food waste. So it's something that everyone can do something about in a small way, in a big way, in all kinds of ways. But, um, yeah, so today we're going to talk about one way you can help solve this problem step by step. Um, Maybe not solve it, but do something (laughs) productive about it. And um, it's it's about cooking with scraps you know, saving some food waste in your own kitchen and in really delicious ways too. I would say it's not like a sacrifice. It's actually a benefit to your cooking. That's because I have a wonderful cookbook called Cooking with Scraps, how to turn peels, cores, rinds, and stems into delicious meals. And, um, it's also, uh, subtitled 85 scrumptious recipes for zero waste cooking the, its author is lindsey-jean hard and she joins me now from ann arbor michigan hi lindsey-jean hi thank you
4: so much for having me
3: well thank you so much for joining and um, i'm a big fan of your book so congrats this is like a great book and it's your first one right it is indeed and thank you Awesome. So I know that this um, book first came about from your column of the same name, Cooking with Scraps on Food 52. Um, is that right? Is it, it yes, sort of transformed? That is. Um, Yeah.
4: Yeah, we had um, an editorial meeting where we had talked about um, things that we wanted to do, and one of my colleagues had read Gabrielle Hamilton's cookbook, Prune. Mm-hmm. which has a garbage chapter mm-hmm, in it. Mm-hmm. And we were like, I wonder if we could do something with that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to have that column. It sounds amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, for a couple of years, I um, would dig into our archives and I would find recipes from the Food 52 community that were making really smart use of food scraps. Um, and share. I would then share that with the rest of the community.
3: Awesome. And now you've written a book with, is it sort of like the best hits or is it all like sort of new ideas that you're, or the best? Um, I don't know. It's
4: new because that I was mostly sharing other people's recipes Mm -hmm. within that column. And then I obviously learned a lot from all of them during that time. So then I took all of that knowledge and turned it into recipes of
3: my own. I see. And um, I love how you have all these like sort of like handy tip sheets throughout or like you know charts and like things like clean out the crisper um you know sections throughout it and also just wonderful photography about um for the recipes and you know there's like a narrative section on turnips for instance and how you can use all parts of it the greens and and whatnot so uh, it's a really really fun book so oh thank you yeah, so tell me a little bit about how I know that you're in, um, you got your um, degree in urban planning and you've been involved with sustainable um, sort of food solutions throughout your career. So, why did you decide to, you wanted to be that person to write this column and then eventually this book?
4: Uh, well, after college, my husband and I moved to Japan for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we joined a CSA there for the first time. And so we were getting this weekly box of vegetables that In Japan? had been grown by local. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So we were getting this weekly box of vegetables that had been grown by local farmers. And we would walk down to our neighborhood grocery store to pick it up. Um, but almost every week I had to carry something inside the grocery store because I had never seen it before and had no idea <laughs> what to be doing with it. Um So I just, I developed like a much bigger interest in food and cooking and I really wanted to be like honoring this produce and using it all really well because, you know, I was aware that the farmers near me were working hard to grow this and I just felt a bigger connection to my food. Mm -hmm. And then while we were there, a college friend of ours told us that he was starting a company with his wife called Real Time Farms which was a website designed to help people find food that they felt good about eating. And um, I didn't even know them that well at the time, but I just felt these bells going off saying like, I have to be a part of this with you. Mm. And so we built this startup from the ground up and would help people find farmers markets and learn about um, their local farmers growing practices and eventually connected to restaurants. And so restaurants could then show where they were getting their ingredients from. So, um, and it was just a really cool time of connecting food and writing for me. And we had an incredible group of advisors, two of whom were Amanda Hesser and Meryl Stubbs,
3: mm. the
4: co-founders of Food52. Um, and they eventually acquired us, and a couple of us went on to work for them, where wow. I did multiple different things, but among them that column. So it was just like <sighs> all of these pieces fit together for me of a love of sustainability and food and cooking and writing and yeah, it just felt like it was wow. meant to
3: be. That is really cool. I had no idea. And what was the name of the um startup that you did again? It it's was a- it was called Real Time Farm. Okay. So helpful. Um so um with this book though, you you continue to sort of this is really CSA friendly, I would say it's, it's on like having a CSA myself, um, knowing what to do with all the ends of like the broccoli stem, you know, we have plenty of recipes that, you know, broccoli stems could fit into well, but I never see an actual recipe that has, that says use broccoli stems. So it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's intended to
4: really be like a helpful reference guide for mm -hmm. people, like whether it's, Coming in your CSA box or you're picking something up at the farmer's market or the grocery store, like, presumably you know what to do with the carrot's root, but you might not know how to use the top of the green.
3: Exactly. And I love that, you know, you you state in the beginning, you have, it seems, you know, a deep love for many recipes, but you, you start your book in the introduction with a very bold statement. You say, I don't think there are any perfect recipes. What do you mean by that exactly? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, I hope that it's it's intended to be comforting to people. Mm-hmm. I find it comforting um, because there are a, a lot of incredible iconic recipes out there, and you know I I make many of the ones that I mentioned, and they're like, Marcella Hazan's tomato sauce recipe is wonderful, mm-hmm. but just because it's wonderful as it is doesn't mean that it's too special to be played with or tweaked to make it work for your mm-hmm. taste. And I think that we should all feel very comfortable. With our food.
3: Yeah. So, what are some of the um, most surprising discoveries you made about things that you could use, repurpose from, you know, food scraps, I guess, throughout your writing about it for two years and then this book? Um, I think the most surprising
4: thing was just how much and how, like, how much we can be eating and, like, what we aren't. Yeah. And so, it really isn't as hard to use them as we think it is sometimes Mm -hmm. like sometimes it can feel intimidating and it really shouldn't because it's just another ingredient right and yeah and then there are like the really obvious ones like i think banana peels are going to be the biggest shocker for everyone in this book that they are (laughs) indeed edible and taste good
3: tell me your secret banana peel uh techniques (laughs)
4: So um, in the the recipe in the book, it's for a banana peel cake, and I'm cutting up the banana peels, and you want to use the ones that are really ripe and have a lot of spots on them, and then you're cooking them in just a little bit of water to get them to soften up, Mm. and then you're blending those together um, into a puree, and then using that like you might applesauce or some other fruit puree in baking. And it just makes this really light and fluffy cake that's, that's delicious.
3: Wild, and it has fiber probably too, right? <laughs> the the peels. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just guessing.
4: Yes, I haven't <laughs> calculated that, but yes, I would think so
3: too. Um, and I think that you know, a lot of people, instead of, in addition to not knowing what to do, they might think that cooking with scraps is kind of dull or undesirable. Are less desirable than the other part of the plant that you were eating. <laughs> but I think that you do an amazing job of, like, um, if you will, sexing up some of these ingredients. So, I mean, you have, um, like, for instance, broccoli stems. Um, you know, they can be coarse or tough, but here you have a lemony olive oil poached bro- broccoli stem and chickpea on ricotta toast, and that just looks amazing. Um, <laughs> And easy. And then you have... I yeah. Didn't, so my so my big shocker when I was reading this is uh, the cheese rind fromage fort. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Cheese rinds. You can do yeah. that? Yeah.
4: <laughs> they still have so much flavor left in them. And, you know, I think that a lot of us will save them occasionally and use them in a soup or, yeah. you know, broth for beans, which is another great use, too. But they really can be eaten on their own.
3: See, I thought I was clever for saving them for soups. I, I was like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm in the know here. But then <laughs> I didn't realize you could like just grind them up and make this wonderful, I guess, cheese ball? Is that what it is, this thing? It, it, it's shown that way in the book, yeah. Oh, okay. But it can
4: either be a spread or it can be a cheese ball. It's, yeah, The texture can be right. what you'd like
3: it to be. Well, it's beautiful. I think it's perfect for the holidays, too. I think that it's really fun to have that big cheese ball <laughs> and then it's covered yes. with herbs here and some sea salts yeah and then you it's serve that perfect with toast. for
4: entertaining
3: awesome so um lindsey Jean, there's so many more tips and fun recipes to talk about here but let's cut to a quick little commercial interlude and we'll be right back chatting more
1: This program is brought to you by Joule Sous Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Joule user. I use Joule to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Joule, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual dentist guide. Jewel is awesome for prepping many perfect portions, making it easy to cook for a crowd, and it's hands-free so you can focus on entertaining while Jewel does the work. And pro tip, Jewel is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Jewel makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Jewel, perfect food, every time. To get yours, visit ChefSteps.com slash jeweled and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. That's ChefSteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code
0: HRN.
3: All right, we're back chatting more with Lindsay Jean Hard. She is the author of Cooking with Scraps, and uh, she's still here, right, Lindsay? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Great. So, um, you know, I think that it's really nice that you have this section called Everything in Moderation in this book because, you know, talking about how many food choices we have every day, shopping, it's complicated. Um, and we can't always be a perfect angel. But you share some really great tips here about how to sort of stay conscientious. And I'd just love to hear, like, you know, what, what do you think is, like, most important to to do (laughs) in your opinion
4: Uh, (laughs) or not do (laughs) it's a hard thing and I think it's going to probably vary by every person but I think Mm -hmm. maybe choosing one thing to start with Mm -hmm. and feeling feeling good about making that choice so maybe you know I think a lot of times greens are probably the easiest place to start whether it's beet greens or carrot tops um, okay. and just starting with one thing and working that into your repertoire and getting right. comfortable using it right. and then
3: adding another one and another one. Mm-hmm. So suddenly seeing the tops of your bunches of beets or whatever as, uh, as a green that you can cook like yeah. any other, maybe Swiss chard or something like that. And then you will sort of more incorporate or identify other things like that too. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, okay, we have to be, play devil's advocate here. What are some, like, the downsides of cooking with the, I don't know, scraps? What should we look out for, be a little bit wary about, if anything? Maybe nothing.
4: I think that um, you do need to be more conscious about um, the growing practices, okay. um, especially if you're going to be using the peels of peels. things. So yeah. Like, like banana peels and the pineapple peels, and especially ones like pineapples that are traditionally grown with a lot of pesticides. In those cases, although I don't always buy organic for everything, I would want to be choosing organic or be able to talk to the farmer about their mm-hmm. growing practices. And as with everything that you eat, you obviously want to make sure that you're washing everything really well, no matter what.
3: Mm-hmm. So speaking of pineapples, um, pineapple you know, when, when you buy a whole pineapple, you have this mountain of stuff on your cutting board left over, um, This, you know, the peel and then the core, too. So what, what would you suggest doing with those things?
4: So for those, I actually turn them into a pineapple peel and core lemonade with mint. Um, it still has a lot of that pineapple flavor left yeah. um, with all of those pieces, and so it turns it into a really delicious non alcoholic beverage, mm-hmm. but you can also spike that too if you're <laughs> so inclined.
3: So you strain it out and it's like you can use this, you can like make this syrup to use for almost anything you want, right? It sounds like you can yeah. just get that, extract that flavor and um, yes. go with it. Fun. Yeah. So yep. uh, lemon peels, that's something that, um, you know, we see. We see sometimes in desserts, you know, fancy desserts or maybe cocktails. Um, What are some other tricks for for using those up?
4: Um, Yeah, I candy the peels in the books. Mm -hmm. um, But you could also be zesting your fruits and using that zest to make flavored sugars or salts. Um, I have one recipe that's using um, grapefruit peel in with a shortbread cookie Mm. you could be freezing it as it is to be adding flavor to other dishes down Later. the road i okay. think that, yeah that's one of the most versatile so called scraps you could have on hand
3: nice i bet you if you were like into like confectionery or like what am i talking about cosmetics <laughs> you could also make some essential oils or who knows what I don't
4: know. Oh yeah,
3: because um, your salts and uh, the flavored salts look amazing, and it looks like it's complicated to do. You know, those fancy. You have a these different like sort of like flecks in the salt, and like different colors. But actually, it's tomato skin salt in one in one variation, and then you have cucumber salts, um, yellow bell pepper salts, celery salts, and those are just yeah. They- mm-hmm, go on. They look so much fancier
4: than they are. Like you said, I mean, it just adds a really fun pop of color. But they're incredibly
3: easy to make. And how do you exactly get them really dry?
4: <laughs> um, in the oven at like a really at a low temperature, um, and then you're just crushing them up, whether you know with a mortar and pestle or um, food processor, until it gets to be a fine powder.
3: Huh. Huh. That's so clever. I love it. And the tomato peels, I mean, those are, I'm, I'm sure they have tons of flavor in them. Because, you know, whenever I see a recipe yeah. that asks you to peel them, I'm like, oh, I like them <laughs> Anyway.
4: Yeah, I don't always peel them either. But for the few instances where you need to, like for canning tomatoes or whatever, mm-hmm. this yep. this one is actually one that um, was inspired by Gabriella Hamilton's cookbook Prune as well, because she makes straight tomato powder with them, which... Is obviously probably very useful in a restaurant, but perhaps mm-hmm. not as useful in a home kitchen. And so okay. that was the inspiration for making all these different flavored salts.
3: Got it. So it's like a seasoning that could be used for anything and um, also have yes. that tomato powder in it. Um, yes. This one is really, really clever. Um, corn cob yaki o- onigiri. <laughs> so it's like grilled rice yeah. balls with corn cob stuff. How did you do that?
4: Well, I mean, you can get a lot of flavor, again, out of those corn cobs, so it works really great to save them up and make a corn broth that Mm -hmm. then you could use for soup or for risotto, Um, but in this case, I'm just cooking the rice along with the corn cobs, Mm -hmm. and so the rice is getting that flavor and the little bits of leftover flecks of corn, Mm -hmm. um, and so then that's... Yeah, just being shaped into a rice ball and then lightly grilled on each side.
3: And I bet that has a lot of like sweetness in there and maybe some more starchiness from the corn cobs to lend to yeah them. Super fun. Um, well, do you have any favorite you wanted to call out as we're running out of time? Uh, so, anyway. that's, that's a tough question. It's like choosing a favorite child. But for the
4: season, <laughs> I would say yeah. the the pumpkin gut scones are pretty appropriate right now. and make um, a good use of the part of the pumpkins that we're generally tossing. A lot of us might roast the seeds, but we don't always use those stringy fibers in between them.
3: I'm guilty of that for sure. Um, Wow, that is a great tip right now. So um, while you're carving your pumpkins, I hope you pick up this book because it's just astounding. There's so many more we could talk about, but it looks like we're running out of time. So um, thank you so much, Lindsay Jean. This is like... Really, really fun book. Really appreciate it. Oh,
4: thank you so much. And thank you for having me.
3: Yeah. And thanks, everyone, at Heritage. And we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you.